Hello folks and welcome to another episode of On My Mind. I'm Shelley Griffith and today I'm delighted to have a young man that I've known for many years be with us and talk about his career and various other issues, Sean McKeon. Welcome, Sean. Good morning, Shelley. We're glad to have you with us. And Start out, Sean, like I do with most of my guests, uh, background, uh, where you were born, raised, some family background, if you will. I was born in actually Cleveland, Tennessee, but was whisked right back to Athens and raised here, went to school in Inglewood and Athens, and eventually went to Carson Newman College for my further education. My family are the McKeans that used to have grocery stores, and my father was a local banker here for many years, and my mom sold real estate. Uh, graduated from Carson Newman with a degree in communications and business, and most people don't realize it, with a minor in religion. Started work for Senator Al Gore in my senior year in college, and did that until he was selected as our vice presidential nominee. At that point, did you hit the campaign trail? No, I actually manned the, continued to man the Knoxville Senate office and hewed my skills in constituent service and perfected some special skills with small business and immigration. And so when the campaign was over and those folks became our president and vice president, I became a political appointee in the Clinton administration to the Small Business Administration. And then I proceeded to spend 29 years there. I got converted to career service. I wrote loan policy, coordinated communication, and did congressional relations work throughout my career. And that's interesting, Sean, because you and I have talked about that. And I am correct, I assume, that our country really runs on small business. I know we've got corporate structures and people buy things out, but... Is that not correct that maybe 70-something, 80% of businesses will be? 80% of businesses are small. Small business. And small can go up to $5 million in profits. And ten. it can start out at, at 1 to 10 employees and go all the way to 100. And they could still be considered a small business based upon the size standards of the industry. So... In that role, did you travel around the country? Or I traveled some, but a majority of the time I was in Washington. I did lots of briefings for Congress. I did lots of briefings for trade associations. And anything that went, for a period of time, anything that went to Congress, including testimony, had to be signed off on by me before it left the building. Stressful? Oh, it can be, <laughs> especially when it's 10, 15 hours a day sometimes. Absolutely. And folks, Sean is a very comfortable, laid-back sort of fella, and, and I can't see him stressed, but I'm sure those days were there when you think about it. Did you have to deal with lobbyists, or they weren't a part of coming to you then? We saw lobbyists, yes, in the form of, because most people don't realize the SBA's the 
largest mortgage lender and the largest lender to small businesses, and we do that through a public-private partnership with banks. So we had banking associations and the Association of National Guaranteed Lenders that came to see us quite often, and they were both lobbyists and practitioners. And in just roughly, Sean, remembering that time, is there a number that you can give us of maybe small businesses in America, or is that just not possible to gather up? It's out there, but I don't have that information anymore. It increases yearly. But also you have a number of those that fail yearly, so the number is constantly evolving. That was my next question. I'd read somewhere in the past that if you start a business, say, in 24, that there is, and you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, 80% chance you may not make it for two years or more, or is that not correct? There's probably between 65 and 70% okay. that don't. That will just fail and move on. Wow. Because here in Athens, of course, as our listeners know, number of small businesses of different types, and I think all of us want to support them locally. Now, with this work, were you involved in the repeat campaign for Clinton and Gore at all after you were already there? No, because at that point I had become a career employee of the federal government. And as a career employee, you are hatched. In essence, you're limited on the political activity you can be involved in. By the time that had come around, I had been a political employee for three and a half years, a career employee of the federal government for three and a half years. But define that. Hatched as in? You're limited to, you can support a campaign by writing a check, you can support a campaign by attending rallies, but you cannot coordinate any of those efforts. Okay. Gotcha. And economically... Sean, during those years, my recollection was we were doing well nationally, were we not? I mean, in in various aspects, the stock market and everything else, right? Very much for most of both terms. That's what I was thinking. And as that segues into people looking at various things in, in each election cycle, this is very interesting. Now, from there, you got... Out of government service, when was it? What year? And then back here, coming back home. Oh, I came back home on a transfer. I became the deputy director of the Small Business Administration for the state of Tennessee. I did that for almost five years. And then I was called back to Washington to work in congressional affairs once President Biden's administration came in. And I worked from a laptop in my, at my kitchen table or my mom's for a number of uh, months before I ever retired, coordinating COVID relief efforts and explaining those to congressional members and their staffs. Good. Now, at this juncture, though, that's not a part of what you're doing. I know what you're doing now. We're going to get into that in just a second. But when you... Stepped away from that. Stepped away in July of 2022. 22, okay, gotcha. 
And did you enjoy that as much as you did the small business type activity? Or? Oh, yeah. I was still working for the Small Business Administration. I was just doing congressional relations for them. I got you. Okay. And then in Tennessee, though, take us through some For the five there. years I was here, I helped to manage a staff that marketed our programs to small businesses in Tennessee as well as cultivated those businesses to get involved in government contracting, and we helped them those businesses to get government contracting across the state, both in state and federal contracts. Gotcha. And then we educated them on how they could get financing to help them operate their business, as well as most people don't realize we give free counseling and training to small businesses. So we did a little bit of that in conjunction with some universities around the state. I'm going to segue away from that in that if I become, and this is for listeners who, who look at maybe opening businesses, if I become, say, I want to open a small business, a small construction business, what are the particulars, Sean, that you advise that new person who has very little knowledge of. Well, what do you say as someone who's operated this with financing and everything else? How do you guide them into starting that business? Most folks have an, a, a skill or, a, or provide a service or a product, but they've never managed that business from a business standpoint. They need to go to a small business development center. And these are located across the state in east tennessee we actually have four of them but the closest one to here is at cleveland state do a pre-assessment find out if you can get an attorney to help you draw up your structure look at what it's going to cost you to do the business and seek a, a particular kind of financing that's going to be helpful to you and there, there are a variety of those through public and private funding, through banks, through micro lenders that provide loans of 50000 or less, which don't actually come directly. None of these come directly through the Small Business Administration. They come through agreements we have with different entities. We guarantee the loans, but the entity processes and services those loans. And then stay with your small business development center advisor to help you through your process because you're going to come into a year, two years, you might want to grow even more. And there are other types of financing which help you for long-term fixed asset type financing. Those go through certified development companies. Did you find that people would follow this kind of advice? Some, great advice. some would. Some charted their own past. Those that charted their own past might not be around the next year. Yeah. But you have to put together a team at the very beginning of a small business advisor, a lawyer, an accountant. And many times if it's, a, it's an extremely small micro business, we had programs that would help you do your accounting. And you would only have to have an accountant at the end to do your yearly audit. Mm. Excellent, excellent. Now, where at this point, now that you've backed away from that, tell the listeners 
what you are involved in now because this I find is an interesting story of how you got involved now with with this campaign and we've had a podcast just recently folks about Jack Allen for Congress with Jack and his campaign manager and tell us and tell the listeners Sean what you're doing with the campaign right now I serve as the campaign treasurer which means I have to track all expenditures and receipts from donations I file all the Federal Election Commission reports and I'm a non-paid member of the campaign staff. Jack and I go back to the days when he worked with my father at Citizens National Bank, and he was also my Sunday school teacher in the seventh grade. So our families intertwined for a number of years. So when he found out I was back and he thought about doing a campaign, he said, I'm not doing this without you. And so I chose the role that I could spend a a certain amount of time in it but not be fully full-time paid staff and I could pursue some of the other things I'm doing in retirement. And in the campaign mode, and you and I have talked about this, the the treasurer folks, I've done a couple local treasurer things which is nothing of this magnitude, but paperwork, filings, and all of that, but share with folks, Sean, that what that's involving more than what you just said, and that is getting people interested enough to donate, and maybe especially to a non-incumbent candidate. It, uh, is that a pretty good struggle some days? It is. You have to explain what the candidate stands for. It can't just be that they're a Democrat or Republican. Many people now, it's down to issues. So you explain what your candidate stands for, what he wants to do, what kind of representative he wants to be, or she, in this case, or in, the, in any case, so that they're interested enough to participate to further that campaign to allow him to do more things, reach more people that might not be in a position to give. But our campaign thrives on the fact that we do $25, dollars $100 $100 for the majority of our donors. Whereas for any campaign, for the primary election is $3,300 and the limit for... A general election is $3,300 per individual. And that, Sean, is something I doubt that very many of the listeners, and certainly I had any clue, and that's very important. And, and we understand at this point that, that Jack Allen is the presumptive nominee from the Democratic Party in the race against... Congressman Chuck Fleischman of the 3rd District of Tennessee. Is that correct? That's correct. So that eliminates the primary issue dollar-wise at this point, but we're still raising money. And give our listeners an idea of what, and I certainly didn't know this till talking with you, what a campaign for 
Congress might cost, generally speaking. Obviously, we're running this campaign on very much a shoestring, but an average campaign is one to two million dollars. And sometimes in many districts, it's up to five now. And that covers now, Sean, and I know most people see that, but tell the listeners what that covers as you're looking on these expenditures. That covers advertising. Advertising is buttons, signs, soon coming out will be bumper stickers, as well as radio and television. We haven't even gotten into that realm yet because a campaign now is run via via social media, Mm -hmm. which is much cheaper to do than it was by buying television and radio time. We'll do some of that, but social media is the new way people communicate. So we're getting our candidate out there. That's why we've devoted a staffer just to social media. Mm And then we have a campaign manager that's paid as well. So we have to pay campaign staff. We don't, many candidates have their own headquarters. We're operating out of our homes to do this. So it's truly a shoestring budget. Jack wants to run the campaign as he were running a business or as he were running his office. He he wants to be financially responsible and not have extravagant expenditures. We're facing headwinds of a candidate that has almost $2 million in campaign funding now. And we're nowhere near that, but there are ways to run a campaign with much less. And help me because, Sean, I should know from knowing folks in the past, but when a candidate is elected and the war chest that everybody talks about, they keep the campaign money, not just Congressman Fleischman, but anybody. The money that's left over after all expenses, does that money stay in some type of account? It can them? stay in an account if they choose to run for re-election the, the next time, they will reuse that money. Okay. Now, if they choose not to run, or if they're a losing candidate that might not run again, they can transfer some of that money to other candidates, Mm. both at the congressional level and below. And so essentially, if I lost, I've got, pick a number, a million bucks left, I can transfer that to somebody else legally that's running for office. Yeah, there was a time which excess campaign funds sometimes went to the candidate and their families. That has since changed with Mm -hmm. campaign finance regulation. Good. Okay. Good. And I like your statement, your shoestring budget. And personally, and I've talked to candidates, I have, as many people who know me, I have voted on different tickets, different folks. I always look at the people that are running, but it's very interesting as you go door to door and do those kinds of things. I've always, for some reason, enjoyed the underdog atmosphere. Maybe not that, but how do you feel with the so-called underdog candidate? Excited or? It can be very exciting because it's new. It's new to everyone. People may know 
your candidate based upon what they did before Jack was a banker. People know him from that. They're already familiar with him. We, I don't know that it's been released yet, but we did a survey and 30% of our individuals that were surveyed recognized and knew who Jack was. Mm. So in essence, in a theoretical world, we would only have to, if 30 people recognized him and were interested in voting for him, we would essentially only have to have 21% in addition to be elected. Mm -hmm. But that's very theoretical at this point. Sure. Um, and the issue, Sean, share with some of the, the listeners because as we look at pre-election issues, you sit in meetings with the folks. Share with our listeners some of the big issues that pop up now for the 2024 cycle, just across the board, not just Jack and Congressman Fleischman, but across the board. Folks are focusing on abortion. As you well know, a woman no longer in some states has a right to choose what to do with her body. Due to the Dobbs case, which rescinded Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. Jack's very much pro-choice. He considers it very much a woman's issue, not particularly a man's. Mm -hmm. there, there's also the issue of immigration. So finding a way to deal with this influx of people when we need in this country a lot of people to do certain jobs that f folks either don't want to do or you can't find applicants. Immigrants can fill that void. With the lower birth rate in this country, we need a higher number of people coming in to help with those things, and you have to find a way to do it legally and efficiently. And as we well know, Congress is going through that process right now of trying to change it. It's been almost a decade or more since Congress has dealt with immigration. It's an uphill challenge. And then, as you had mentioned previously, the economy, of course, the fiscal responsibility of our Congress, that's important as well. What about currently, and, and maybe it's more local in Tennessee, what about educational issues, Sean? Do we see stuff nationwide that's changing there? Some The consensus is that they want education to be more of a local issue where local entities make the decisions as opposed to the federal government, which I think they'll find if they do that, the funding's going to be the big challenge. They want to get away from getting federal funding. The state of Tennessee is now considering whether or not to give up federal funding, but I think their, their commission that they had formed found that we need a percentage of that still. Mm. There, we haven't, in our campaign, dealt with education that much yet. But I have a feeling as we get more toward the general election that we'll be covered. And I think we still want that federal funding and we still value public education. 
the 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 fight in Tennessee now is to let people get vouchers and to do that to to educate their children through private schools. And I think that's going to be a huge challenge. I know here locally the both the city and county school boards have voted to support public education and not this new voucher system. Absolutely. And then obviously back to fiscal stuff, part of fiscal, concerns about Social Security, Medicare, the senior citizen care, if you will, are there as always. Any thoughts you have from your time about where maybe some of that ought to go? You'll never be able to transfer that to the state because the money has been paid into the federal system. So you have to find a way to manage Social Security and Medicare so that those people who have paid into it and earned that benefit continue to have it. So I think the next Congress and the subsequent ones in the future will be going through a process to secure the Social Security Trust Fund and Medicare. There are abuses to it, but I think it's more under control than it was. Do you see them maybe changing the age at which one can receive both of those? I mean, it keeps the mandatory age keeps going up. I think the latest one is sixty-seven years old, mm-hmm. but the but there are proposals out there to increase it to seventy. Okay. Interesting. And of course, you can see both sides of it, but. And then health care, certainly. People talk about that all the time. Insurance industry, that's part of the Jack's stuff as well. So, yeah. But you look at so many things that a candidate has to have knowledge of and the advisors and, and all of this. And then, Sean, share with the folks the campaign workers. I, I guess I never thought a lot about it. I've certainly helped personally in different things and boots on the ground, but you need a bunch of campaign workers, even for these races in Congress, Senate, everything else. How many would you say Jack's campaign's going to need? We're going to have to staff a lot of it via volunteers, door-to-door campaigning, info events, But I think at a minimum, some campaigns rely on at least five good people, and then they have as full-time staff, and then they have lots of part-time staff. But I don't think we have that kind of funding for this, so we all have to do our parts to, as volunteers in this campaign to, to further it with our efforts. But we, if you have a good campaign manager, you have a good social media person, and then you have a few field people because, as you well know, the 3rd District is quite circuitous from the Kentucky line all the way to the Georgia line. Mm. You have to have people to cover all that area. Mm. That's when you enlist your local party apparatus after the primary. If we're the nominee, we'll start working with the local parties to use their volunteer fleet of people to do that. 
And then, and for the listeners who are in our area, certainly, and John and I have alluded to that, it becomes a little bit of an uphill when you're in a particular state that may be heavily dominated by one party versus the other. But as most people know, that's not impossible by any means. No, and that's been proven over the past five years. You've had a number of districts across the nation where they thought this is a completely safe Republican or completely safe Democratic district, and the candidate determines who's going to win that. If the candidate is charismatic enough, knowledgeable enough, and meets the needs of that particular constituency in his campaign, it's not inconceivable that candidate might win. As we were saying earlier, that that getting out there, getting the grassroots information to the folks like you're talking about, and the volunteer effort, and, and I know a lot of our listeners have been great volunteers locally for various organizations. Certainly you've done that. Your family's done that over the years. I think it's very interesting because I have always believed that as well. And, and so that's, to me, the exciting part of these kinds of campaigns. And Jack, as you and I both know, is a real energizing kind of personality, gets out there and it will see people. And the redistricting folks, for those of you who are not from our area, occurred a few years back. And as Sean says, it's Georgia to Kentucky, all that. And it's a very strange division. It only has around 800,000 people, but it's such a weird division. You've got to go see the folks. You can't ignore any of that. Now, for those folks, Sean, who would be interested, and I do this, folks, in fairness to everybody who would come on as, as a candidate or their campaign workers, give folks a spot that if they're listening to this and wish to donate to Jack's campaign, where should they send a donation? Go to jackallenforcongress.com and look for the blue box that says donate. Okay. And as all of our listeners know, and certainly Sean and I know the importance of getting support. And as he mentioned earlier, it's not about a particular amount. It's just saying we'd like to help. Is there also a spot at this website where they could say they'd like to be a volunteer? There's an email address at the bottom of the campaign website. Email. You can email Matt at JackAllenForCongress.com, who's the campaign manager, and Matt will truly get you involved. Good. Excellent. Super. Now, Sean, as we're beginning to wrap up a little bit, and you look at your career still going strong with these kind of efforts, young person comes to you, and they're looking at the pathway, say, in college, communications, marketing, any of this kind of stuff. What advice do you have from your career at telling them what to look at or look for in that path? 
Look for opportunities not only academic, but also from a practical standpoint to do where you can spread your wings beyond learning about it and actually doing a campaign or doing marketing or covering a campaign. Who knows? You might want to become a press person. You might want to become a public relations person, which does both business and political. I had a communications degree that involved public relations and journalism, but I also took business classes and religion classes. And it takes sometimes all of that to, to form the toolkit that you're going to need to become that particular operative that you want. Good advice. Excellent. And anything else you'd like to say to the folks? Tickled to have you with us today. Want to get you back on a little bit later as the campaign progresses and see how things are going. But any other comments for our listeners? Thanks, Shelley. It's been a pleasure to come back home and get involved in a campaign with people that I've known all my life and to have a new purpose and a new um, reason to get up in the morning and participate in something that can further not just my life but others. We're delighted to have you back with us and certainly doing this and it's always good to see you out and about and around and, and folks, as I've said many times, and I know I sound like I'm 100 years old sometimes, but in watching these young folks grow up in a community and coming home, this is a very special thing for all of us who are in the area. So glad to have you back, glad to have you with me today, and look forward to getting you back, and good luck on the campaign. And folks, as I say to each and every one of you every time, have a safe and healthy day. And I'll see you a little further up the road. 